Sometimes we struggle to open up emotions and to stare them in the face. And I've just come to a place where I'm okay with if tears need to come out, that's just a natural process. If, mm-hmm. if, if it's a matter of just sitting there and focusing on the issue to just at least look at it, because when you stare at something, it's not so scary anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not so scary anymore. When you stare at it and you make sense of it and you ask, why is this such a debilitating situation? Why is this holding me back? From the next step. Welcome everyone to the ultimate shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the Ultimate Ship. So today, um, I think it's safe to say I'm going to have an old friend on. We just were talking before we recorded that we met in 2011, which I didn't realize it was that long ago. But our guest today is Joseph Arthur, and uh, you're a coach, you're a speaker, you're a lot of things. And those are that's something I want to touch on as well. And uh, man, you're just talking about someone being on fire, someone I've been following for years now. And we met at a conference, uh, at actually it's a Danny Johnson conference. It was a conference just bettering ourselves and finding out how to be a better entrepreneur, a better person, things like that, I guess. Um, it's safe to say that event changed my life. And so why don't you dive into telling us a little bit about you? You just moved from Chicago to Tampa. Uh, so, you know, where does your story start? Oh, man. Wow. So, I mean, really, at the end of the day, I was born in Nigeria, born and raised, lived there for the first 11 years of my life. Family moved to the States in, in search of better life for my both my older sisters and I. And lived in Chicago for, what, 26, 27 years. Decided, gosh, it's a little too crowded and too cold here. I'm done. I'm heading down to Florida. So six months ago during a pandemic, packed up, left. But really, it was a dream of mine to get out of Chicago for a long time. I've always wanted to go somewhere warm. Winters was just, it just was not healthy for me any longer. And it was time for me to zip out of there. So been in um, Tampa now for about six months and adventuring around, figuring out the law of the land and just really just grabbing onto life and seeing what's, what's, what's there, you know? Yeah. So you said your, your family came from Nigeria. Were you born in the States? I was born in Nigeria. You were born in Nigeria. And at what age did you come to the States? 11. Came here at 11. Wow. Okay. So can you walk us through that? What kind of change, uh, you know, do you remember much about that shift of Nigeria to America? And what was going through your mind at that age? Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's such a good question. But first, you know, I must say, I appreciate you even taking the time to have me on the show. I, I followed you as well. And I'll never forget, I think at the time when we met, you were in the Playhouse building business. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And to go back to from Nigeria here, I was excited. As a kid, my mom worked for Air France. So we traveled all the time. I mean, I spoke French when I was younger. That's how much we went to Paris. And when we moved here, I was more excited about a new place. I was excited about snow. I was excited about just a whole new environment. But the kids were mean. Bro, they they were mean. I mean, kids, again, they called me names like African booty scratcher. They had they made fun of me because I had a different accent. I got into a fight no where way. my glasses got knocked off my face while I was playing football. They were mad at me because I was faster than them. It was just, it was, it was a challenge. And <laughs> it was a challenge. And, you know. Having to think through those times and now it's just it's 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 interesting to think back through and just just to be grateful for where I am. I truly believe I feel extremely privileged to live the life that I live, to drive the car that I drive, to be able to just walk into my home and just to even flick the lights on, mm-hmm. to, to, to have warm shower, to have food, because I know there are people in my country that do not have that opportunity. So wow. everything about my life is an absolute gift right now. That's amazing perspective. So at 11, coming here, kind of being bullied, all these things, did you know kind of what you wanted to do with your life? Did you know where you wanted to go? What were your dreams, your aspirations? Who did you 
who did you look up to? Like who was who was the person, the people, if you will, that you, you aspired to be like? Yeah, you know, I I don't necessarily. I would say I have an amazing mother. You know. It took her some time to be able to move here to the States. So my dad was initially here and I moved with my sisters and I've always had a close relationship with her. She's been really just the pinnacle of who I want to be. And we're very much alike in the way we do things. And as a kid, what was interesting is I look back in Nigeria, I could see the really successful people worked in the banks. And they had a lot of money. And I always knew that I wanted to work with money. And I just, you know, I wanted to have money because I saw these individuals and the lifestyle that they had. And so fast forward, come to the States, went to grammar school, went to high school and went off to college where I actually switched major about three, four times. Was able to graduate in five years. Don't ask me how. (laughs) And, you know. I bounced from major to major and eventually landed in accounting, which I was also an athlete as well. That was so much fun. And I was also a mascot, which thankfully, that was such a blessing because that's how school was paid for my last two years. Graduated, got a full-time job with a consultant firm in the city of Chicago doing some accounting and eventually um, transitioned over to finance. And I was there for 11 years. And on a part-time basis, I built a direct sales business where I did some health coaching and did some business coaching as well. And that's where I was introduced to the personal development world, which happens to be how you and I met. Almost 20, exactly 23 months ago, I walked away from the corporate gig, went full-time into entrepreneurship. And now I'm a full-time high-performance coach. So really what I do is I help entrepreneurs and executives that are at the top of their game, how can they level up to the next phase? What does that look like? At the same time, being able to maintain healthy relationships and not losing their health. You know how it is. Right. It's easy to focus on the busy stuff and keep everything else at bay. So that's one set of group of individuals that I work with. And then the other set are individuals that are not quite at their game yet, but they know there's a next phase. They know there's a next chapter. And what does that look like? And we work on habits. The common denominator with both groups is that they want to grow as individuals. They know there's a next phase. They know there's a next level. And that's where I come in with habit adjustments, move them in the directions towards their goals. Wow. Okay. So what is the number one thing you see for that entrepreneurs that you work with, whether they're at the top or trying to get to the top? What's the number one thing that you see? That they're usually trying to change. Is there? Is it that simple? I mean, does it come down to one thing? It's not one thing because it varies. Different people are at different, you know, parts of their lives. You know, some of them, again, as an executive, I work all the time. I don't know how to connect with my family, mm-hmm. you know, or one, gosh, I've been in this position for so long. I'm comfortable. How do I look for something else? My company is going through a merger and acquisition. I don't know you know, I've got a great income. I don't know where my position is going to be. I don't know what that looks like. Another one, you know, an example is another client of mine that's an attorney. You know, she left the corporate world, started her own firm. She sadly went through a divorce, but again, gratefully remarried, really, really happy, growing her own law practice, super busy, paperwork, law, I mean, writing laws. I mean, trying to figure out the dynamics of work and life. And how do we keep her engaged so she doesn't lose her new relationship with her new husband? That's where I come in. And so it depends on where someone is. And I'm pulled in to help them understand, number one, let's clarify where we want to go. If we don't have clarity on that, we're not doing anything. We're not going any further. And that's the top thing that we start off with. Nice. So what is your why behind this? How did you get into wanting to help people? What was it about you that said, you know what? I know this is how it feels and I want to help other people to maybe feel differently about this or maybe not experience a thing. What was the pain point in you that said, I want to help other people navigate those those channels maybe to having a better life? Such a great question. So as I've been in personal development, I've loved all the Tony Robbins, the Brandon Burchard, the Danny Johnson, whom you're all familiar with. And I've always said, gosh, it would be great to do what they do. But why? That took some uncovering. And I would say the really, really moments where transition had to be done was my last 24 to 36 weeks in the corporate world. 
I, I mean, I had my side business that I was barely tending to. I was dialed in. I was getting, you know, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago. So I jump on a train, get into the office 8 a.m., work at 6, 6.30, get home, late dinner, go to the gym, come back on online to work from 9 p.m. to almost midnight to do that over again. So I went through a phase of even perhaps depression, and that was very hard. It got to the point where I said, this is not even worth it because I remember waking up one Saturday morning, going to the gym, eyes bloodshot red like I was out partying the night before or whatever, and I was just at home. I was just exhausted, and I looked at myself and said, you look like shit. I do not talk to myself that way, not at all. And that was a moment where I said, something has to give. And I was able to you know, struggle through it, trying to figure out what the next step was, eventually transitioned out of that company, decided to look at different curriculums. And I loved Brandon Burchard's work. He's the um, founder of the High Performance Institute, read his book, went through, I've studied his work for about eight years, used some of his um, tools and resources to help me navigate on how to transition And from there, I said, I'm going to do this because there are just so many people out there that need help. And how can I take my experience and add value to the lives of others to make their lives better? Wow, that's incredible. A selfless perspective. Again, let's touch on you. You're I didn't know this about you, but you're you were a father or a father from a very young age. You said 15. Yes. So. How did you navigate through that? I mean, at 15, you're thinking, I mean, what's going through your head? You're you're like, oh, shit, my life is over, essentially, from a standpoint of maybe uh, the dreams you had as a kid or whatever, or even your childhood. So what was that like, and how did you navigate those waters and, and end up being, I mean, you're, I think you're a great role model for any anybody. Thank so, you. What was that like? Ah, man. So, you know, again, move into the country and roughly, what, three years in and I get a girl pregnant. What happened was I moved from the city to the suburbs and I was fresh in the school. I was in the classroom that, you know, there was a girl there. She was new. She was older. And there was a guy on the football team that liked her. Right. So he said, hook up with her. And I said, sure, I'll be Mr. Hookup. So I, you know, I'm in class with her and I'm talking to her, trying to hook them up. And eventually she turns around and she tells me that she likes me. And I was like, no, I don't (laughs) do that. You connect with him. You guys go together. That's it. Well, she kept pushing him off and coming stronger on me. And I kept pushing her off, delaying. No, 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 no. And I'll never forget specifically. She sat me down and just said, you know, we should do this. We should, we we should have sex. And she looked at me and said, you'll never have anything to worry about. I'll get an abortion if I get pregnant. That was the only reason why I did it. And fast forward, that was around maybe April, early May that that happened. Midsummer, I go bike riding with one of my best friends and only to come home then to find out my cousin said she came, the girl came by and said she was pregnant. I just turned 15 years old. And that was some suicidal thoughts. That was harmful thoughts at the age of 15. I thought about taking her out at the age of 15. I thought my life was done. I thought it was all over. And I never, ever want anyone to go through such pain. So at the time, my mother still lived in Nigeria. So she had to hear the news from my aunt And I have such an amazing family. They never scolded me. It was just a matter of, okay, is is this child really yours? And we did the blood tests, come to find out yes. And eventually child support had to be paid, which my wonderful mother paid child support for a good 11 years. No way. Yeah, my mother paid for child support all through high school, all through college until I got a full-time job. And she also paid for my college. So... Fast forward, I ended up finding that story out. High school, sophomore year was just horrible because she was there and she was very, very nasty. I can't blame her. I really just pushed her off, almost thinking like this this situation is just going to be swept away. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. She eventually left the school. I finished high school, gratefully, then went off to college. I kept no contact whatsoever, but still within my heart, there was pain there. 
there was pain. There were times when I literally was, I thought there, I would never find another woman because what other woman would want to be with a man like me that would leave them. And crazy enough, it was in 2011. Well, prior to that, I started working with some of my best friends and years and years went by that I barely shared. I didn't share that story with anyone. It was just in my family. And I had a girlfriend in college that I was with for five years. She had no idea. It was a burden. I was afraid of the judgment. I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid of just, I just, I I didn't know how to work through it. I would say those were probably some of my darkest moments. And thankfully I was able to get through school, get a job. And um, in 2011, I come to the Danny Johnson event that I met you. And I will never forget Danny saying, some of you in here will never be as successful as you could be until you forgive someone in your life. And I was thinking, you know, perhaps it may have been my dad. He's there, but we don't necessarily have such a close father and son relationship. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it's not him. And Ping, my son's mom, came up in my mind. And I said, that's it. So I get home. And I was in a men's Bible study at the time. And these guys that I was in a study with, I'd known them for a good two years. And we did life together. Like we literally spent every weekend together. We worked together and I shared it with them. And they couldn't do anything but wrap their arms around me and just encourage me. And my best friend that actually, he's the one that I knew here in Tampa that I moved to. His name is Jordan Kemper. Jordan just said, you know, man. I, I don't know what it feels like to be a father. Um, if you want to have another conversation with another man, would be more than happy to connect you with my dad. Maybe you could get some suggestions if you decide you want to reach out. And I'll never forget that Monday night, I drove home and I wrote a note. I wrote a note. I found her address. I wrote a note. By Friday, I get a call from an unknown number and I picked it up and it happened to be my son's mom. And that was the first time that I spoke to my son. Wow. At the, at the age of 11. Yeah. I just told this story a lot. This still happens. But at the end of the day, I have a praying mother and she always wanted to meet her first grandson, her first grandchild. And she never pushed me. She never pushed me to go. She knew I will go and look for him at one point in my life. And I reached out. I spoke to him at the age of 11, took some time to develop the relationship to finally meet after a couple of few years, finally met him. My mother was there. My sister was there. My aunt was there. So they got a chance to meet him. And now I've got the, I've had the privilege of speaking at school, speaking at businesses and different organizations to share this story. And it's been one of the most impactful stories that I've been privileged to share. And, you know, even right now, someone could go on my social media and you won't find anything about that except for something that I posted two days ago that I put in one of the one of the options, one of the truths. I put nine truths and one lie. And one of the truths is I'm a father. And most people have never seen that on my social media. And truth be told, it's never been on my social media for two things. One, I do like the shock factor because I tend to, people look at me as, Gosh, this guy's so well put together. He's got it all figured out. And I do that for people never to judge a book by its cover. Mm, I like that. Never, ever judge a book by its cover because you never know the journey, the experience this individual has had. So I put that up. And actually, over the last 48 hours, I reached out to my ex-girlfriend's friend because I did not want to connect directly with her. It shouldn't matter now. The girl I dated for five years I mean, this was in college and even post-college that I dated her. She had no idea. And the last thing I wanted for her was to find out on social media. Again, she's married with kids, but I try to put myself in her shoes. I would feel deceived. Not that it should matter because it's been years ago. Sure. Just out of respect, I reached out to her sister and I just said, hey, this is something that I kept from her. And I wanted to just to share it with you so you could actually let her know that it will eventually be on social media, but I never want her to find out through social media. I want her to know prior. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yes, that just happened over the last 48 hours. And has that made you feel what kind of way? Like just free or just like this is this is fine. You're letting it all go and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I would say, honestly, it's the most liberating thing to do. 
I know there are men out there that are challenged with the same situation and a man will struggle his whole life if he does not go back and fix that. Wow. A woman will struggle her whole life. And I made a vow, which is one of the biggest reasons why I practice purity in any of my romantic relationships is number one, I never, ever, ever want to make a woman feel the way I made my son's mom feel. And second of all, never, ever, ever to leave another child. So that experience has been a lifelong lesson, has taught me compassion. I, you know, I'm of the belief that whenever I come across anyone that's struggling with any situation, the first thing that comes to mind is do not judge. You are one decision away from being exactly where they were. Wow. That's powerful. That's that whole thing set you up for the path that you're on now where you're changing so many lives. I think that's incredible. And and you're exactly right, Ben. For and everyone that's listening to this will get to your handles on social media stuff. But when you follow this guy, man, you're one of the best dressed, sharpest guys out there on social media, man. I mean, I'm talking about I look at you and I'm like, God, where does this guy get his suits? Where do you uh, it's just I'm always, uh, yeah, man. I, I don't even know what else to say to that. I mean, you're just, you're just, a, you, you do look like you have it all together, and I think you do in the sense of, of your learning and growing and things. But that's an incredible story, and I appreciate you sharing it with the ultimate shift and our guests and, and uh, listeners and so forth. If someone came to you and there were a young parent or about to be a parent, because this stuff happens every day, as you know, and they're saying. Hey, I don't know how I'm going to navigate this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, you know, I'm, I'm too young or maybe I'm just not ready. Or what's, what's your words of wisdom to that boy, that girl, man, woman, when it comes to that? I would say number If you, if you could go back and speak to with who you are now, I guess another way of putting this is if you could speak to Joseph Arthur at 15 years old now, if that kid was standing before you, you know, with the feelings you had, what would you say to him? That's tough. I tell you, I have a different perspective. I'm grateful in the route that my situation happened, that I left. Because truth be told, at the age of 15, I actually would have treated him very, very bad because I was immature. I would have treated him very bad because of the hate that I had for his mother. Mm. So if I meet a young person at the age of 15, I actually might encourage adoption. I would highly, highly encourage adoption. Go and grow, but make sure that this is a lifelong learned lesson and don't go out and repeat it, number one. And I would encourage adoption to create some space for you to actually mature and start to figure out who you are. Make sure you remember this situation. The choice that you made did not only impact you, but it impacted everyone else impacted everyone else and it's going to impact your future. I would encourage at that age to give up for adoption. That would be the number one thing. Because you're still a kid at that age. You yes. you haven't even fully developed as as a a person or you know, you're still learning life lessons, if you will, at that point. I guess we are still even we're always learning life lessons, but at that point you're still learning critical life lessons about how to live and, and grow and so forth. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's, that's crazy, man. I, yeah. I have so much more respect for you just knowing that story and everything, knowing everything you accomplished and so forth. What, what do you think, you know, we live in a world of social media and uh, highlight reels and I find it, I look at, I find it kind of crazy how, how a lot of people fear or avoid the forgiveness aspect of whether it's forgiving yourself or someone else or vulnerability. What do you think, why do you think so many people struggle with vulnerability? Probably not just in today's age, but probably as, as humans. It's scary. It's scary. And it's because of the judgment aspect of things. It's, it's scary to open up the just you and to say, this is me. This is bare me. This is naked me. You can poke and see everything about me right here. It's the scariest thing, but also it's the most liberating thing at the same time. I truly believe that. And just that whole thing of what are people going to think about me is, I believe, what holds people back. 
from mm-hmm. actually being vulnerable. But it's so powerful too, because you get to connect as human beings. The reality is we all have our different struggles. I'm still single. I do struggle with being single. That's just the reality. But I'm also not going to sacrifice being single to be in a relationship I do not want to. I'd much rather stay single than to be in an unhealthy relationship that I don't want to be and I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So just that vulnerability, it's 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 fear. It's fear behind it. It's some level of pride that I need to show that, oh, I'm good, this big macho, I'm great. No, 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 no. We all struggle in one way, shape, or form. And being able to air that out is huge, huge when it comes to freedom. And then forgiveness the same way. Yes. And forgiveness at the end of the day, it's, you know, I've just come to the conclusion that it's not about the other person, but it's about you. As I've studied a lot of science and a lot of psychology, the the holding on to anger actually biochemically adjusts over 1400 different things in your body. Now imagine someone hanging on to hate for 10 years and then they wonder, why do I have cancer? Because all that stuff, the emotions, it's not only just your feelings, but they're internal things that are adjusting. And holding on to that mess for such an extended period of time eventually would lead to some sort of dis-ease because you've been at a dis-ease for so long. Yeah. Wow. So so what's the first step in that for someone who's struggling with vulnerability, struggling to forgive whether it's themselves or someone else? What's the first step? How do you how do you when, when you catch yourself maybe in a place you don't want to be? What, what do you do? What are your steps to overcome that? Do you write? Do you journal? Do you talk it out? Do you meditate? Do you? You know, what What do you suggest for someone that's trying to find that door to open up and let go and whether and it could be even in business, struggling with connecting with your family? What What's something you advise people when they're just trying to be more open, but it doesn't come naturally for them? Such a great question. Number one, I always say is to get clear on what you want. Just you have to get clear on what you want. So how do you do that? Do you do you suggest writing it down? Yeah, multiple things. There are multiple ways. Definitely journal. I journal, but I don't journal every day, you know. Okay. And I would say, number one, my quiet time in the morning has to do with scripture and prayer. If I don't have that, I'll tell you, if I don't have my quiet time in the morning, I am not getting on any conference, any calls with any clients. I will cancel all my sessions that day because... My heart is not prepared. Wow. My heart's not ready for the day. Who am I to walk into this wild world and try to do something when I haven't even checked in with my creator that's supposed to guide me through and navigate all this? So number one, for someone that's challenged is to get clear. And if it might be journaling, you know, I think sometimes we struggle to open up emotions and to stare them in the face. And I've just come to a place where I'm okay with if tears need to come out, that's just a natural process. If, mm-hmm. if, if it's a matter of just sitting there and focusing on the issue to just at least look at it, because when you stare at something, it's not so scary anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not so scary anymore. When you stare at it and you make sense of it and you ask, why is this such a debilitating situation? Why is this holding me back? from the next step. Why? Understanding that what that word why is so powerful because when you start to ask yourself questions, you dig deeper. So there's this there's this game, uh, I don't even know if it's a game, but there is there's a process that is done in the world of psychology which is the seven levels of why. And once it's to ask why, you get an answer and then you ask why that answer and you do that seven times to get to the bottom of the situation. So it could come from journaling I certainly would encourage so. I certainly would encourage meditation, definitely, without a doubt. Again, not here to pour my faith or my beliefs on anyone. I go to my creator that created me. He knows way better than I do. I go pray. I go read scriptures. That's what directs me. And I would highly, highly encourage also, perhaps even maybe seeking out some mentors, trusted mentors that you could have conversations with, that they are willing to, number one, understand when I need to just listen as a mentor and not give advice or when I need to listen and then give you advice. Another thing they could seek, seek out would definitely be a coach. I think depending on what your goals are is to look for a coach. I, as a coach, I have a coach because I believe we all have blind spots and my coach helps me and challenges me and raises me up to the next phase as well. 
So those are different avenues that I believe we could work through to uncover some of the challenges if someone is in that position of how do I get past this? Mm-hmm. So there are multiple areas to do so. That's good. So in in business, well, and this can be both again, but in, in business, let's talk specifically about business for a second. If someone says, I need to make more money to, to feel happy, I need to work harder, but I feel burned now over here, what's your advice to that? Well, one, is money really going to make you happy is the number one question. I think the gift that comes with having money, the option that comes with having money is really what they're in pursuit of. So not the actual money. So I always encourage them to get crystal clear on that because we've seen people with a lot of money and are beyond dissatisfied. So does money really bring happiness? It's the options that it gives you. Mm -hmm. That's where it is, the freedom that it gives you. And at the same time, it's to ask themselves, are you willing to get as uncomfortable to get to that goal? You you know, some people, for instance, you're a successful businessman. Are people willing to do what you've done to get to your levels of success? Most people would say yes, but when they get in the trenches, ah, that's uncomfortable. I don't know if I can make that call. I don't know if I can have that hard conversation. I don't, you know. When you get into the nitty gritty of the hardship, that's when you that's when growth happens. And I truly believe until people are actually clear and set with their right intentions and their right heart, then they could actually proceed forward. And that, you know, and when it comes to being burned out, it's one of the most unhealthiest things to do. You know, I burned out. I got to the point where my eyes bloodshot red, like I shared earlier, and I was talking this smack to myself it's such an unhealthy place to be. Mm-hmm. And success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Amen. So where, where, where does a balance lie in that for what you said earlier too is, and I do a lot of consulting and I see it, this a lot. So I'm very driven in the sense of when I start a business, I'm seven days a week, 24 seven, I'm go, 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 go. I have learned over the years, and granted, I'm 36 years old, this came with time, where I've learned to say, to listen to myself and and know that, okay, and I'm at that stage right now, I'm leaving for Montana Sunday for a week fly fishing. That's, that's my checkout. And it's, it's time and I feel it. And so, but where does that lie in when you're starting something new and you want to go? I've found very few people are willing to, to, like you said, when they get in the trenches, they're like, ah, you know what? Well, now my girlfriend's not happy with my time schedule. My wife's not happy. I'm feeling burned out. So I guess the question I'm trying to ask is how do you recommend working through that when you're starting something new? It takes a lot of time. You're having to make sacrifices somewhere, but at the same time, not burn out. Yeah. So no it is. So if you, if you view yourself burning out, what do you do? Yeah. Great, great question. Number one. I always say to figure out what are the top three things that you need to do? What are the top three things that you need to do? And then where is the schedule? If you are not diligent with your schedule right now at the beginning, you will not be diligent with your schedule in the future. As an entrepreneur, you and I know, yes, we have to do things. But for me, I also recognize if I don't sleep, my productivity drastically diminish. Yeah, I get sick. If my productivity goes down and I get sick, that affects how I could come out and serve. That affects how I'm going to pay my bills. So the question I have to ask myself or whoever it is that starting has to ask themselves is, well, if you get so gung-ho, you don't sleep, you end up ruining your health. <laughs> what does that look like in the long run? So the first thing is to get clear on the top three. Ex- what are the top three things that you have to do for your business? I have to prospect, I have to do my financials or outsource that. I have to do some marketing or outsource that. What are the three things that you need to do in the time that you have to do it and be just so stringent with that time? I work with people that run businesses part-time because they're more in the e-commerce space. Great. They have a full-time job. Okay. Are you commuting to work? Can you make two, three calls within that 30 minutes to have conversations? And you know, you make your two, three calls and go straight to business, not the fluff talk. You only have this much time and that's it. If you continue to produce just like that consistently, the compound effect kicks in. So I think sometimes as an entrepreneur, we, we, we definitely have to do everything in the beginning. We have to be the janitor. We have to be the customer service. We have to be the business owner. We have to be the business operator. 
But what days do those need to be happening? That's the number one thing is for us to get clear on. And what activities are going to be done? And in that time that's scheduled to make sure once it's a minute over, I'm done. I have to set those boundaries and those disciplines for myself. Because if I don't do it now, I'm going to sacrifice and continue on this pattern in the future. I do plan one day to find a sweet girl that's going to spend her rest of her life with me. And if I don't start to work on those patterns and those habits now, how in the world do I expect to adjust that when that time comes? Mm, I like that. So this is a question that I love to ask people and I get answers all across the board on it. Should you work your passion for as a career? Should you work with, work your passion? Yes. Like, you, you know what I mean by some people, they, well, this is my passion. This is what I want to do, but it's not paying them. And sometimes it is. What's your take on that? Well, one, I believe you would recognize this. The marketplace pays for value. Mm -hmm. And if you bring value, much like, again, if we were to go scriptural, Jesus added value to people's lives. And that's why people were connected to him. That's why they loved him. He made their lives better. So what is it that you're passionate about that could make the lives of other other people better? If you're if you're selling cassette tapes right now, that's making nobody's life better. So I don't care how passionate you are about cassette tapes. It's doing nothing. But right. the question lies in, you know, I've had since my birthday was last week and I have this whole new perspective and philosophy. Our lives are gifts. Our lives are gifts. So example, I I I. I was I, one of my good friends, uber successful business owner. I can't even imagine what she's done. Single mom, three kids, has over 300 properties in the real estate world, has campground business in Tennessee. And how has she done it? So recently she posted something about one of her campground businesses that she was able to develop seven streams of income within that business. Now, wow. I reply it. Yes, it's wild. And I look at it, for instance, okay. Two campground businesses, one is hers with the seven extra streams of income, and the other one just offers camping and offers you to just park your RV. When they both go sell, her business would obviously be far more valuable, right? So I look at her business as initially a gift, and then she was able to uncover the gift to uncover the extra value within the gift. I look at that in parallel to a life. When a baby's born, when life happens, we're excited and it's the, the baby's a gift, right? The journey of life has to do with uncovering that gift to uncover the value within that gift. When we look within to uncover the gift that we were born with and we have developed with our experiences, that makes us much more valuable in the marketplace. And I think oftentimes people go externally, looking externally to find what they're supposedly passionate about and not digging with it. For instance, I know one of my superpowers, one of one of the things is that people are attracted to me and I'm grateful for that gift. And I'm also very careful about that gift. You know, how can I make people's lives better when they come and talk to me? How can I help them lift them up to higher ground when I come talk when they come talk to me? So. When it comes to answering that question, should you work in your passion? Well, is your passion truly making people's lives better? If so, absolutely. If it's making art, that's a great. If it's making art and you can make a home beautiful, absolutely. But if it's selling cassette tapes and DVDs, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's probably the best response I've ever gotten to that answer. Or that question. I love that. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but but it's so true. When it comes to pivoting, adjusting, adapting in business or in life, as you obviously had to pivot and adjust and adapt when you were 15, all of a sudden found out you were going to be a father, as well as when you left the corporate world to, to pursue your own coaching career and, and speaking and everything else that that led to. How important is it to be open to the change, to pivoting, maybe in a complete switch, maybe roads, directions? 2020 was a great example of that. How did you find that? How did it affect you and how did you navigate those waters? You know, I believe in being flexible. You have to be flexible because if you're not flexible and you're so rigid, (laughs) when change comes like the the pandemic, you never know what to do. I do believe in keeping your ears open, but also understanding to say no. I'm grateful to be, you know, presented with several opportunities continuously and I have to say no. But I'm all open. I'm always open to listening. I'm always open to seeing what's out there. And I only have two, two, two businesses right now that are running. 
And I'll say yes if it fits into what I'm trying to do. If not, I just can't. But I'm flexible and I'm also strict. Does that make sense? Yes. That's you're, it. you're strict as in uh, you're strict to to the policies you have in place, to the steps you have in place, or you're strict as in can you can you clarify that a little Absolutely. bit? So I'm strict as in these are my two businesses that I'm running right now. If someone presents me with an opportunity, one, is it going to fit into any one of these two? Okay. I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. If it's not, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing right now. And I thank you so much for presenting me with this opportunity. Not right now. Maybe in the future, but not right now. And I'm totally fine to keep going. So I'm strict okay. if it fits into that. If not, I, I just, I, I can't. Yeah. I love it. Let's dive into your head a little bit. What's your biggest fear? In the moment, my biggest, at this stage of your life, my biggest fear. What is a fear? You know, I've never been married. I do one day hope to be. I would say I've accepted the fact, obviously, that human beings are we. We it's we we will hurt. And I would say one of my biggest fears is not again. I don't know if it's actually a fear. It's more of an intentionality and an awareness to love someone so much but to hurt them unintentionally. So I don't know if that's necessarily a fear, but it's still an awareness that, gosh, how can I be so intentional that, you know, I I don't hurt who I'm with? Is that a fear? What could be a fear? Let me think through that for a moment because I've never really been asked that question. What's a fear? Oh, hmm. Maybe as in a fear that your head is telling you, obviously we, we, we know Fear is often not actual reality, but something that maybe you find yourself working around or that keeps coming back at you and you have to continuously address it, maybe. Oh, you know what? Actually, it's funny because, you you, you know, I, I you mentioned my social media. There are times when I'm an overthinker and that comes from the analytics side of me. So there are times when I would ask questions of, gosh, is this good enough to put out there? Mm. So. I guess maybe in a sense, imposter syndrome. And it's something that I've actually had to work through. It was last year or so that I put up a video on Instagram and I loaded it up and it came literally upside down. Really? And the perfectionist side (laughs) of me was screaming. Like, (laughs) what is this? And you know what I decided in that moment? I'm going to leave it and I'm just going to walk away and just let it go. And I, I, I left it. It No way. I did. I left it and this was over a year ago. I left it and I just said, forget it. That's it. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to fail and I'm going to let this ride and I'm just going to leave it there. So I would say if anything, when it comes to maybe fear or just this level of discomfort, sometimes my perfectionist side kicks in, which kicks me into overthinking and how I work through that. When I realize I'm starting to spin on a thought or an idea or something, it's time for me to either do something about it or to let it go. If I take zero action, that means it's gone. I'm letting it go. So I would say that's probably more of the level of discomfort for me that I could be struggled with is the overthinking, the analytics side of me. Wow. That, that's, that's a, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I, I would have never have taken you for that for some some ways. Your stuff always seems to be right now that you point that out. Your social media is flawless. And, and when I say your social media is flawless, kind of leads me to the next question. How do you navigate? How do you how do you find social media? How do you deal with it internally? For me, it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting to the point that, you know, obviously we, we promote this show a lot on social media and things. So it requires me to spend some time on, but I've, I've taken breaks from it. I've paused the show because of it. I am, I'm one of those people that would be fine never having it. But in today's world, it plays a big part in, in any career. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, I guess, keep your sanity? And I think we all struggle with the comparison game because we, we realize that. Our brains trick us into thinking that something better than it probably is mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you find yourself just getting on social media and just being like, oh, you know, okay, now I feel worse about myself or my day or whatever. Or do you not have those? And if you do, what do you do to, to maybe check in? You know, I've actually never been asked that question. I think 
I actually, I enjoy social media, but I also, I have boundaries with it. So for instance, when I'm done here, I'll probably spend another half hour answering some messages and responding back, you know, and I think social media for me personally has given me the chance to do something I also enjoy, which is to inspire people. Mm-hmm. That is such a powerful thing. And when it comes to comparing and seeing other people, I'll never forget my mentor said a few, about eight or nine years back, he said, Joe, this was when I was looking at, you know, some peers that were doing so well in business. And I was like, gosh, that sucks. They got this. He said, Joe, comparison is a thief of joy. It's a thing of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, the thief of joy. I got you. Okay. Wow. And I said, all right, I'll take that humble pill and swallow it. Uh And I'll tell you more than anything else, I actually have a deep sense of joy for people. When I see family pictures, you know, I celebrate my friends, you know, even though this is, is, I'll give you an example. One of my best friends in Chicago, he's done very well in real estate. He's, he's going to be turning 40 this year. And for the very longest time, he's wanted a motorcycle, never got it. We know how dangerous it is, blah, blah, blah. But eventually, about three and a half years ago, decided he was going to purchase one. And because he cares and respects his father so much that his dad lives, you know, two miles away, his dad had no idea he had this motorcycle for like two years. That was just the level of care and respect that he had for his dad. And I'll never forget going to dinner with my friend. And after dinner, we were heading back to his place to go catch up with some other friends. And he was riding his motorcycle in front of me. And I was just I was I was, you know, obviously behind and. I was just excited and happy that, gosh, this is something he's always wanted. He's extra, extra careful. And I celebrated him with it. So I do that for people. So instead of going on and seeing, gosh, their life's better, this, they drive a Lamborghini, they drive a Ferrari. It's like, gosh, good for them. Congratulations. You know, and if my, my desires happen to line up with that, when the time's right, I'll have my own stuff as well, you know? But more than anything else, I go out and I celebrate people internally. That's one of the things that I do with social media. Yeah, you're really good at that. By the way, everything you do that I can ever remember you doing is uplifting, which is when I think of Joseph Arthur, it's always a smile. First off, you've got one of the nicest smiles. Like it lights up the room. And and that's, that's how I think I've always thought of you. So I think you're doing really well with that. Man, I... I don't know when I can re- remember an episode going this fast. I have so many questions, but we're rounding up on time. Maybe we'll have to do a sequel, and I want to respect your time as well. Two more questions. If you were given the world stage today, the world stage, everybody, every country is tuned in, they're watching you, and you had, you know, you're given the option to kind of leave your legacy, to let pe- people know this is Joseph Arthur, and this is what I think the world should hear. What do you think the world should hear? Number one, I would I would go back to the story of the new perspective that I have, that life is a gift. Each and every one of us here were designed for a purpose. Each and every one of here were put for a purpose. And that would be where I'd start, first of all. And it's being able to recognize that because we're just going to get, you know, kind of, <laughs> we're going to get a little crazy here, but. The average male releases over how many millimeters of sperm? And within that, there are millions swimming in that. So to get life and to be alive, you fought in the hardest battle to swim the fastest, the strongest to be alive. Wow. And that on its own is a gift. You are special enough to make it through with millions of others that were swimming right along. So you fought one of the greatest fights to make it here. That on its own is a gift. And within that gift, it's our job and this mystery of life that we uncover to open up that gift and to find out the value within that gift and to be grateful because in every mess, there is a message. In every situation, something could be learned. We are all unique, but we are all very similar. So the question is, do you spend time ruminating that on your deathbed, you regret the things you never did? or the people you never forgave, or on your deathbed, you want to be filled with gratitude and say, my job here is done. That's a choice that someone decides right now because 
our times are all limited. The biggest deception that we have is thinking we have enough time. Mm -hmm. So to decide right now from this very moment, what is your story going to be? And on that deathbed, will you be filled with regrets or you will, will you have like just a happy belly full joy that it's time for what's next? That would be love it. Love it. That's good. That's a great message. That's a great legacy to leave behind. (laughs) If you could ask any one person one question, who would the person be and what would the question be? One question, if I could ask anyone. Gosh, if I could ask anyone one question, to be honest with you, I would say, God, why did you love us so much? Why did you love us so much? Why did you love me so much that I came here and, you know, I did things my own way? I pushed you aside, went on my own, but yet you were still there. Why? That would be the question I would ask. That's a good question. <laughs> so why, what about you? Is it that loves people so much? You know, I think one is I, I have a huge level of empathy with the situation that I experienced as a father at a young age. Mm-hmm. Just a deep sense of empathy and understanding that John Maxwell said this. We are all one decision away from stupid. Just because this happened to someone doesn't mean it can't happen to me. And being able to connect with people and to lift them up. Because when I remember I got a text message from a girl years ago and she said, why are you here on earth? And I actually went in to look at the name of Joseph and the name of Joseph is actually means an encourager. Wow. Yeah. And for me to be able to encourage people to help them go from where they are to where they could be is one of the most gratifying feelings that I could ever have. I love it. Well, man. I I want to acknowledge you for for being so open, vulnerable, sharing your story with everyone. Man, you're you're an inspiration. You you've always been to me. Like I said, you you light up the room when you walk in. You're you're one of the most loving, caring people I think I've ever met. You're positive. You're a positive light in a in a world that many people see nothing but but pain and hurt and and look for a perception of what's wrong with the world. You're a great place to tune into to see what's right with the world and. I really love that about you. And how can our listeners find you, follow you on social media? Uh, you have a website. It's JosephArthur.com. Yeah. But first, let me just say, number one, it's truly a privilege and an honor for you to even invite me here. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I don't take your kind words. They're just so generous. I, I'm deeply grateful for that. So thank you so much. And with the work that you've done, gosh, I see you hustling, you're growing, and it just it's, it's exciting. And people can easily find me at josephoarthur.com. The way I say it is Joseph, like the father of Jesus, the letter O, Arthur, like the king. You could easily find me on social media, um, Joseph O. Arthur, um, on Instagram, on Facebook. And my website is www.josephoarthur.com. Perfect. We'll put all those in the show notes as well. It's truly been a pleasure. So with that, we'll wrap this up. And yeah, thanks again for coming on and sharing your many words of wisdom. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.